Hello, hello. I'm Elle here with myself today, and my episode name will is Light Shine, a bit metaphoric since we'll be speaking of mental health and get the bad stigma out of the way. ADHD, or Attention Defective Hyperactivity Disorder, is a neurodevelopment mental disorder that can cause higher than average levels of hyperactive and impulsive behavior. May present itself in extreme difficulty with sitting for long periods of time or trouble in attention for a single task. Hello, hello, Danny. Thank you for being my interviewer and person I'm interviewing with. Um, first question that I'll be asking you is, what is your diagnosis? ADHD. Right. And I have a, like, a whole entire other list of things that goes along with ADHD in there. All right. Um, how would you like to define ADHD in your own words? Give them caffeine to go to sleep. Well, caffeine? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, okay. How much? Like, just like a cup. Makes us sleepy. I don't know people who drink more, but... <laughs> Do you get any bad judgment for your diagnosis? Um, some, yeah, sometimes. Because at home, my mom doesn't like being around me sometimes. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't hang out with me that much anymore. Well, do you have any stories about, like, here at school with anybody treating you badly because of your ADHD? Mm, no, not really. That's good. That's really good, actually. Because I don't think they knew I had ADHD until they really met me. Do you have, like, does your diagnosis ever hold you back to doing certain things? Yes, it does. Like, when I was taking the first dosage they ever gave me in my medicine, I couldn't really do anything. Like, we couldn't go hiking, swimming, anything, or anything like that. Because I was really scared of bugs. I had to go outside with the, something on my head, and I'd be so scared. I wouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they toned down the medicine a little bit, so then... I could do things, but, like, I couldn't go swimming because, like, I I couldn't touch the, I wouldn't let my feet touch the ground because I don't like the, I didn't like the texture, and then I didn't like seeing bugs in the pool, so I'd always make my grandma get them out. It didn't matter if we were in a public pool, like, my auntie's pool, it wouldn't really matter. Um, weird question, but, yeah, have, like, your meds, like, for ADHD, have they ever, like, tasted weird to begin with? Um, when you, when you take the thing apart and then you put it in food, it tastes very nasty, but that's how my grandma makes me do it sometimes because she doesn't feel like fighting me, but she'll sneak it in my food. I don't know if she puts it in there because it tastes nasty. Is it like, like one of those pills that like are covered with like it's that plastic thingy that you can mm-hmm. put in your mouth and it dissolves? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's disgusting. I am so sorry. It's not that disgusting, but I understand what you mean. Um, for yourself, has ADHD ever like impacted you negatively? Yes. Um, I it comes along with anger issues for me. So. I make bad choices, and then I regret them so much, and so then I get mad at myself, and I don't really let it go, like how I got my phone taken away, and I'm not going to let that go, and my grandma's telling me that I'm going to get it back next year for high school, but I don't believe her, because my myself decided to do something that was not okay, so, yeah. Has, like, your family, like, other than your mom and grandma, who I know of, 
like your siblings, have they ever like like asked you or treated you differently sometimes because of your so, ADHD? I don't really know um my other eight siblings besides Talia. I don't really remember what she looks like, but my sister, she's only three. And then my mom, when I get very mad and stuff, and my and I start to have like an um time where I'm like going off the hook and I'm like getting very mad, my mom um quickly takes my sister to Sassy's house because she doesn't want me to be at home. Doesn't want her to be here. Um, my mom told me, she even told me that um, if I hurt my sister, it doesn't matter if it's on accident or not, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be going somewhere else. Mm. And she said it's not going to be grandma's house. It's going to be, like, somewhere else. Well, has that, like, ever, like, stopped you for doing anything at home and, like, rethinking things? I don't rethink anything ah. until I'm done. Well, thank you, Danny, for being my interviewer, and thank you for answering my questions. That is all I have to ask. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, today I have Miss Rotorer talking about ADHD once more and a different perspective that would be from the adult perspective as of now. Um, my first question is, what is your diagnosis? Um, <clears throat> I actually, throughout my life, have had multiple um, different uh, diagnoses um, at different stages of my life, mostly I think because my ADHD diagnosis didn't come up or, or didn't wasn't recognized until a couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> officially, um, uh, ADHD and depression, anxiety, like chronic depression, anxiety. Um, years ago, um, doctors you know, thought maybe bipolar or something like that. Um, but it finally made sense about two, a little over two years ago. Uh, I finally was evaluated um, and it was figured out that really everything centers back to that ADHD diagnosis. Um, did you <clears throat> did you think it was like that to begin with or did you like consider the possibilities that they were actually telling you? No, I never did. Um, growing up, my younger brother was hyperactive, like physically hyperactive. And so it was pretty obvious that he had ADHD. Um, I was able to sit and read an entire book uh, with no, you know, I didn't feel the need to move around. So it never occurred to anyone um, because in girls, it often looks different. Yeah. Um, it, the symptoms look different. Um, I was always very talkative, but I learned about something five or six years ago called hyperfocus with ADHD. And it's where you can get so focused on what you're doing that like you, everything else kind of disappears. And I realized that's what I was doing when I was reading because you would, it would be hard to get my attention if I was reading a book and really focused. So that was kind of the first thing that made me go, mm, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to this. Um, and then I read an article that talked about something called rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is about this like, um, hypersensitivity to what other people think and whether other people uh, like you or not and your feelings get really hurt like whenever you feel rejected and just it's this extreme feeling I guess and I read that apparently they're connected um, RSD and ADHD are connected and so I kind of went down that rabbit hole and I was like oh my gosh this might explain everything so for me it was um Let's see, I'm 38 now. So I was like 35 at the time when I read this. And so I was already seeing a psychiatrist for depression and anxiety, things like that. So I brought it up to him. 
And he said, well, let's see. And he went through the checklist and I passed the checklist of flying colors. So, um, and I said, you know, some of the questions um, about the hyperactivity, I said, you know, I don't really feel the need to move around a lot. But another thing in women that shows up is um, we talk, like women who have ADHD are often talkative. So girls who talk a lot, just like excessively, sometimes that's what the ADHD looks like. And I was always the one that talked too much. So it all made sense. <laughs> I've heard that um, most women at certain ages, they develop ADHD because it always seems different for every woman. Mm -hmm. And it's always just that one picture that people have that you're like hyper or that you're always jumping around or you're just doing certain things that involve you being like hypergenic. Mm -hmm. And um, I was reading the other day that most women with ADHD don't actually get like diagnosed because it's always seen different. Yep, exactly. Like it is not generally girls, young girls too, um, because you can't see it on the outside. It doesn't occur to doctors and practitioners and whatnot. It doesn't occur to them to consider it as a diagnosis when there's a girl that's struggling. Um, I was a really smart kid. I could do amazing on tests. I mean, I could blow them out of the water, um, especially on like state tests and stuff. But my grades were they could have been better because I, if I wasn't interested in it, I probably wasn't going to pay attention to it. Um, and so it was kind of seen as laziness or not trying that hard. But in reality, it was physically couldn't focus on it if I couldn't get hooked into it in some way. So, and it wasn't recognized because my grades were good enough and I got by. So nobody really thought anything of it because it didn't seem to be, there didn't seem to be a big deficit that was causing me to struggle. Um, I um, interviewed another student, her name's Danny, and she said something similar to that, that her parents always, like, her parents were supportive, her mom supportive, but her mom struggles to handle her because of her ADHD, because her emotions overflow, mm. and they become oversensitive. Yep, yep. It's funny, because my mom um, also struggles with ADHD, but she has more of the, I guess, the boy version <laughs> Hers is more of a, like, she wants to be active and moving. And um, so she and my brother kind of, it made sense to them. And my extreme emotions never really made sense to her. So um, that was always kind of a, actually to this day, is still a struggle for, for my mom and I. So when my diagnosis came up, she was supportive and she understood. But, like, she's still not quite, she still hasn't quite wrapped her mind around the intense emotions that I still deal with, even when you know, I am in treatment and <laughs> I'm addressing it, but it still happens sometimes. So. Did you have any family that like knew beforehand that like kind of had an idea that you had ADHD? No, um, not at all. Actually, we, like I said, we knew my brother. I mean, I think he started medication when he was in third grade, probably because he was the traditional hyperactive, can't sit still, that kind of thing. Um, for me, it never occurred to anybody um, because I could sit what what went through all of our minds is I can sit and read a book and not have to squirm around. My brother could not. It was like painful for him to sit still. So it never crossed anybody's mind. Of course, you know, I was in school in the 90s. And, you know, even where I went to school, things like, um, you know, those types of services for people who might need extra support were just not there. Yeah. And it especially didn't cross their mind that someone who did well in school, who tested as gifted, might be having also be having these kinds of struggles. It just didn't occur to them that there could be both things happening at the same time. Were there any other struggles that you noticed on, like when you kept, when you got diagnosed before and after? Um, 
I think I mentioned the hypersensitivity, like the extreme emotions was a big one. Um, I didn't even realize until after I started on medication for it that sensory overload is a real thing for me. Like um, if there's too many sounds happening and I'm trying to think at the same time, it uh, I compare it to feeling like a snow globe, like my head is a snow globe and someone keeps shaking it and I just need everything to settle for a second so I can think. Um, it actually happened to me not too long ago at the grocery store. Um, there were a lot of people and, you know, with all the with COVID and everything, I'm not used to being around crowds that don't have their masks on and so many people at the grocery store. And I was trying to think about what uh, foods we needed for the recipes and all this stuff. And all of these things were happening. And I just got so irritable and I just like had this urge to lash out because I, it was too much. Like my head was just overloaded. And, um, I remember having feelings like that when I was younger and getting irritable and not really knowing why. And now I go, Oh, that's what's happening. My brain just can't process it all at the same time. And so now that I look back and I'm like, okay, these things make sense. Um, it's a lot easier to deal with when they do come up now. Yeah. You know? So it's just like reminiscing and it's like like, connecting uh, everything. Yeah. Every, it's like once I made the connection and really understood all of the pieces that go with ADHD, everything like lined up. It was crazy. It was like everything fell into place. And it was like, oh my gosh, every challenge, every, every struggle I've ever had, this all makes sense. If I had realized this when I was younger, you know, so when you were talking about sensory overload, I usually experience that, but it's probably because I'm more of a germophobic. <laughs> so certain things like bother me when people do things. And usually I experience sensory overloads, but because I'm a germophobic and I hate certain things from people when they're in an area like that. Well, and I never used to worry about it. It never used to bother me, but I, with being home and having to wear masks and social distancing, and now that's like such a habit to either wear a mask or be away from people. Like if I go out in public and not wear a mask, I just don't get near people. And this was a particular environment where I went in the store without a mask like an idiot because I thought, oh, well, I'll just physically stay away from people. And it, then it became impossible to do. And it was too much. Um, so I think there's a little bit of germophobia in there. Like I keep, I look at people and I think if you're breathing those germs, you're too close to me. Like I can breathe in your germs. And it's, again, it's that whole too many things in my head, too many thoughts, um, like, thinking about the people and whether or not they've got the germs. And then I got to think about this. It, it, it was just too much. And that's how ADHD manifests in my head, I think. Um, <laughs> when you said like too many thoughts, do you mean like like different suffixes yes. or just like everything coming at once for you? Um, a little bit of both. Like, um, you know, in that particular time, my mom and my nephew were with me. And so I was trying to like not lash out at them because I was so irritable that I just wanted to like bite everybody's head off really snap at everybody but I was trying not to and then I was thinking about the recipe and I was thinking about why is this guy standing too close to me like he needs to get away from me and there it was just all of all of those things um all happening at one time and my my brain wasn't able to like sort them and organize them into like priorities and like I didn't even occur to me that I could just walk out of the store like you can go outside and you can go get a mask or you can and it just by that point I was past being able to even think about a good solution, I guess. <laughs> when stuff like that happens, do you usually have moments where you step back and realize that you can do that? Or does it just like all start becoming more overwhelming? 
Normally, I see it coming. I think more so because it usually comes on more slowly than that did that day. Maybe I was just tired that particular day um, or it was just, you know, the first time I've really been in a crowd that I wasn't expecting. But, you know, normally when um, if I'm at school or something and I'm starting to feel that like feeling overwhelmed, I kind of know I can, you know, take a breath. I can step back. I can, you know, put a fan on me, cool, cool myself down. Um, so most of the time I can catch it, especially now that I know what's happening. I can, I've, I've learned to pay attention more to my body and what my body is doing. And I think that's um, something that can be really helpful for people when you, when you start to get used to what are those signals that let you know that you're going kind of toward the meltdown? Like, what are those, those things that you recognize that, you know, like, um, if my, I don't know, like my heart starts racing or I start feeling re really irritable, like I start feeling like, and there's no real good reason why, then it's like, hmm, something's wrong. You know, we need to take a step back. So you just, I just have to learn to pay attention to those, those signals. The, the, does paying, like, do you pay attention to yourself, like, to those certain things, like, every once in a while, like, just to check on yourself? Or is it just more of, like, I slowly feel this coming, and I'm just going to do this for now instead of, like, when, that's when a, I mentioned checking on that's yourself? That's a really good question. Um, I'm actually working on being more mindful. I'm working on it with, um, with actually with my classes right now. We're kind of working on some, some stress management things and whatnot. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've realized that I do need to pay more attention to like how my body's doing, even when I don't think I'm stressed, uh, because sometimes when we don't realize it and the stress is kind of there, it sneaks up on us and it kind of comes across in different ways. Like, um, you know, you, you get a headache out of nowhere and you realize later that it was because you were stressed and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it, but it's still a work in progress. Well, at least you're going to start focusing on taking care of yourself. Now, exactly. Which is good. Exactly. Um, I completely forgot to ask you this earlier, but what was the bet? Did you get any bad stigma from your classmates if they knew about your diagnosis? Well, I mean, like I said, I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. Um, so when I was younger, you know, the only real issues I had was like being overly sensitive. And so I had difficulties with other people because of that sensitivity. Um, I worried a little too much about what other people thought and if they liked me or not. And that sort of thing. And, um, <clears throat> as an adult now, I don't care as much, but back then it was, um, hard to focus on what I needed to focus on, but you know, we didn't know what that was. We didn't know what the problem was, but as an adult, I think they're definitely the main stigma that I deal with is around how I treat it. Um, for me, medication is, m makes me a different person. It just makes a world of difference. And I know that it's not the solution for everybody. And if, if there are other people who can um, manage without it or have other uh, ways that they get around it, that's great. But for me, it's just, it's saving my sanity. Um, it's getting me through. And there are people who kind of will look at you sideways um, if you tell them you're on medication for it because they think that you're abusing it or they think that you're, you know, using it as a drug. I don't know like, you know, the wrong way, but it is, you know, what I use is prescribed and it's, it's making things so much better for me. Um, so I think that the stigma around medicating, I guess, is the one thing that I've encountered that I have to explain myself and explain why this is the best route for me. And that part gets kind of old. <laughs> well, I feel like you shouldn't have to give an explanation right. because you know your own reason why you use exactly. it and people should accept it because exactly. it's you and yourself. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think if you're 
you know, working with your doctor and, you know, your doctor thinks it's the best choice and you're being realistic, you know, and that sort of thing. And I mean, using it the way it's described and things, I think, you know, it's up to each person what works for them. So do you know any other ways that people know how to handle ADHD with off medication? Um, there are a lot of people who say like, if you stay away from caffeine and sugar, that it will help, um, stabilize things. And I fully believe that that's probably true. However, when you're um, used to caffeine, it's very hard to, to get off of it. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Pointing to my coffee and my yeah. tea sitting next to me. Um, it's hard to come off of it. So it's one of those like, you know, you have, if you need to be able to be alert, you know, it's hard to go through withdrawal when you're working and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some people for them, you know, coming off of caffeine and things like that, um, there are certain foods that some people say make it worse, like, uh, certain dyes and foods that some people say trigger it. Um, honestly, even believe it or not, I think social media and our devices and our technology has trained our brains to be less focused on one thing. We're not, we're as in general, we're not as good at just kind of focusing and paying attention to one thing when it's not super entertaining or something. But of course that was a problem for me before phones were available. So. <laughs> but I think it's just generally worse than it was for most of us. Um, but, and then for some people like things like yoga and meditation and that sort of stuff, um, exercise, I think exercise helps a lot with, um, for, for many people, you know, burning off some of that ex- excess energy. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think if you're willing to spend the time, I definitely think there's ways that, you know, people can adjust and get their bodies to adjust. Um, so focusing your mind to let out, to focus your mind on one subject and one thing so you can let out that energy there and just process it through the whole day. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes that might work. Like for some people, especially if they're the, the kind of people who need to move, like you know, getting out and exercising, running or whatever exercise they like to do will helps them later on feel calmer when it's time to sit down and focus. Um, taking breaks during, you know, when you're, there's something you have to do, setting the timer so that you work on it for so long and then give yourself a break. That's really helpful too. Did you have to balance anything like when, when you first got diagnosed? Like, did you learn to, oh, I have to put this first and I have to remember doing this and this and this? Oh, well, it's been kind of, part of me managing pre-diagnosis, managing the issue, um, I learned to be, and I'm still learning to be very organized. Um, And I kind of started doing that without realizing even why I was doing it. Uh, But I'm so, I have to have checklists and write everything down and cross it off. And if it's not written down, I probably won't remember to do it. Um, I highlight and color code and like all of those things to help me keep track of things I need to do because it doesn't stay in my head. And I know people who can keep it all in their head and will remember to get everything done. And they just remember it. And I'm fascinated by those people because I can't, I have to write it down. Um, and I have to go through and check it off and, you know, prioritize and spend time just thinking about what order to do things in. I'm people. I know how to remember (laughs) stuff like that. Um, did it ever like make you confused, like with sensitive directions and stuff like that? I definitely am not as good with auditory processing. Like um, if you tell me to do something and I hear you, I'm much less li- like if I hear it, but I don't see it, I'm much less likely to remember it. Um, 
So if someone tells me how to do something, explain something, and I don't see it in front of me, very, very good chance it's going to go out of my head. But on the opposite side, if I see it, it's like cemented in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, Ever since I was little, like my mom, I could find the car in the parking lot when I was little in my, because I could remember which angle we entered the store from, like, so visually I'm great, but auditory, mm, that's where I, that's probably where I struggle the most. Ah, all righty. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. You're welcome. And I'm so glad that you answered my questions and gave like full on explanations on it. And just thank you. Yeah. I have found that the more open I am about <clears throat> talking about what I've struggled with, um, the more other people feel comfortable talking and the more other people are willing to get the help that they need. Um, because when people are <clears throat> afraid to talk about it and they aren't willing to uh, reach out for the help that they need or say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with, and they don't realize that other people are struggling too, then they end up suffering the way I did when I was younger. And if I can be open about what I'm dealing with and help someone else, then what I'm dealing with you know, doesn't seem so bad because it feels like it's worth it to kind of get the experience. So I'm willing, I'm pretty much willing to share anything. <laughs> All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Light Shine. And thank you for those who I've interviewed and par- participated in this. Thank you for listening to the episode I've created. And just thank you for letting me get bad stigma out of the way for mental health.